Hey, Women of the Hour listeners, my faithful friends. I'm just popping in to say that I, that's me, Lena Dunham, in case you forgot, which I'm hoping you didn't because I really have only been off TV for like 13 months, have a new podcast with my genius, closest, dearest, special friend, Alyssa Bennett. Hi. It's called The C Word, and it's all about women who society has deemed crazy. And it's available exclusively on Luminary, a new podcast app, which you can download right now if you want. And it's not free, but I would dare to say it's worth it. And because we love you all, we wanted to give you a special preview of our very first episode. Alyssa, what do you think is the thesis of our show, if you could distill it? I mean, I think our show is about instances where women have public ruptures and everyone talks about it for a little while and then everyone forgets it. We're here to revisit the ways in which women have been shamed by culture and sort of give new context and light to those experiences and have a little fun in the process. And also, I think something that comes up again and again in these episodes is, you know, there are always these moments where either one or the both of us will deeply relate to these moments that have been called crazy or psycho. Well, we're both former drug addicts, current psychotics. This is the only episode you can hear like this because the show is actually on Luminary, which is a podcast app you can download right now where you can get a lot of very exclusive podcasts. High quality. Yeah, it's high quality. And you know what? Sometimes you got to pay for quality, people. I didn't get the Jacques Mousse purse for free. (laughs) How insane is this alleged used vibrator criminal? Poor little rich girl. Madcap band-aid heiress. Tabloid terrorist. Disaster. Troubled. Grim. Her death signifies the true end of the Hilton brand of way-too-wealthy vapidity. This week, we're talking about Johnson & Johnson heiress Casey Johnson. You want to Hello and welcome to The C Word, the show where we discuss women whose society deemed mad, sad, or just plain bad, and we attempt to untangle who they really were beyond their wild reputations. In short, we're going to talk about women who've been called crazy by sifting through the cultural trash heap of history one rumor at a time. I'm Alyssa Bennett, historian of bad behavior. And I'm embattled star Lena Dunham. And we will never call you crazy. Before we get started, we do not claim to know all the facts, folks. We are just passionate students of these fascinating women, and we're trying to focus a lens on how and why they achieve such notoriety. This is a discussion about what various people have said about these women over the years. This is not a biography. We are not saying every statement we'll be discussing is necessarily true. So if you hear something that piques your interest, we encourage you to do your own investigation. Our hearts are in the right place, so be polite. I know you will. Right. Don't worry, Alyssa. It's the internet. They always assume the best. Okay, good. So, Alyssa, how did we meet? Well, we actually met in a bathroom stall, (laughs) if you remember this. I do. I was weeping. Probably not the only time you've wept in a bathroom stall. And I was crying because I had had to put my hairless cat to sleep that day. Yes. And your tears moved me. 
And you cried, too. I embraced you. We wept together. I mean, we should say that we were going to college together. It wasn't like a McDonald's bathroom stall. And that I was 40 and you were 12. (laughs) Well, you were coming back to school having been a supermodel. And I remember you were like, I'm just moving here from Brussels. Do you like my corset that I bought at a Victorian market? Like, it was a lot to handle. But I also feel like... A lot of times in this class that we attended, people were kind of like, shut up, Lena Dunham. That's what made me love you, and I want you to talk forever. And then the rest is history. Here we are. We've got a podcast. So we wanted to make a show where we not only talked about, like, quote-unquote, bad women and the things that they did and, you know, the substances that they snorted and the sex that they had and the crimes that they committed, but also about how they were actually perceived. So we're talking about the rumors. We're talking about the press coverage. We're talking about the public rhetoric and how they were made into punchlines. And right. as someone who's often been called, you know, much embattled or addled or at it again— at it again is one I don't like. That's the perspective from which we're going to talk about these women and um, the stories around these women and also try to come at it from a place of compassion, which I think we can all agree is, well, let's face it, we can't all agree on anything. But that is something that is lacking from the public discourse, particularly about ladies. This week, we're going to talk about a mutual favorite of ours, Casey, Casey Johnson. Socialite Casey Johnson. Well-known socialite Casey Johnson. She She was was young, beautiful, and an heiress to an empire. Tabloids documented Johnson's exploits. She did have erratic, crazy behavior going on. Alyssa, what are five things our listeners should know about Casey Johnson? Number one, Casey Johnson was the heiress to the Johnson & Johnson cosmetics and pharmaceutical fortune. Her father, Woody, is worth $4.2 billion with a B. Number two, she struggles with diabetes and BPD. That's borderline personality disorder. Oh, brother. Number three, she wants to be an actress. But we come to know her as an old money girl crashing into the new tabloid world of the 2000s, which rewards behavior such as flashing vaginas, getting publicly wasted, sex tapes, that goes against every old money code of behavior. Number four, being a tabloid staple in 2003 means doing all the things that Casey's family would hate. She hits absolute rock bottom with her engagement to Tila Tequila. Number five, the tabloids now regard Casey as fully insane. Her exes are freely trashing her in the press. Her family cuts her off from their fortune. Number six, she dies at age 30 alone in squalor of diabetic ketoacidosis. That was six, Alyssa. That was six. What did I say? You said you were going to say five. It's fine. I'm not mad. Are you mad? (laughs) (laughs) So... Casey Johnson was born Sale Trotter Case Johnson in September of 1979 to Sale and Woody Johnson. Uh, Woody's great-grandfather founded the healthy beauty aisle staple Johnson & Johnson, and Woody is the owner of the Jets. So they were rich beyond our wildest imaginings. They were rich in a way where... I think you can't even imagine what their houses looked like. No, they were rich in the way where, like, if you wanted to get rid of all your money, you wouldn't even know how. You would have to call on a consultant to help you waste your money. Right. You wouldn't be able to spend it all. So tons and tons of money. I think that Casey, over the course of her lifetime, discussed very publicly the fact that she felt like her father was a workaholic. There was probably an element of 
what I like to call benevolent neglect, which is, you know, you're raised by household staff dressed in Chanel as a baby. So she was spoiled, but then she also started to have these physical symptoms, fits, temper tantrums. And her parents brought her to be checked by a doctor, and it was determined that she had a very, very bad case of juvenile diabetes, um, which would kind of radically alter the course of her life. Like Stacy in the Babysitter's Club, she had diabetes. Oh, wow. I, I, I never read those, but like, yes, like just like Stacy. Stacy is like a symbol of childhood diabetes to many girls born in the 1980s. And now Casey Johnson is going to be that symbol. Yes. So I think her family for some time thought that her... Behavioral problems were related to this diagnosis, but I learned last night that her mother, at some point following Casey's death, had come out to the press and admitted that she had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder at a kind of an appallingly young age. I think she was nine. So for those of you who don't know, borderline personality, BPD, is a psychological diagnosis that is often given to young women who are detached, in pain, practice self-harm. And young women with BPD are considered to be the least desirable and toughest patients. It's what Susanna Kaysen was diagnosed with in Girl Interrupted. Right. So she gets into Brown. She gets in, but she doesn't stay long. Nope. She cannot stick it out there. Because... She has a poodle and <laughs> they the won't school, let it live in the dorm. Yes, the poodle can't live in the dorm. So Casey leaves Brown and she heads to where else? Hollywood. Hollywood. So she goes to LA and she sets herself up in the mansion of all mansions and decides it's time for her to have an acting career. Yeah. Note the only show she ever got a part on, which was called like the Tinsley Bumble Show, is not <laughs> even on IMDb. No, I've never heard of it. I mean, my student film is on IMDb. And so she's there to be an actress, but she gets caught up in the scene. And the scene is nightclubs, shopping all day at Fred Siegel. She does what I would describe as an ill-advised tour of her mansion with VH1. I love shoes. I'm a shoe freak. I'm an old Blahnik. He just started making six inches, and he only made a couple pairs, so I bought all of them. I mean, I understand the temptation to show people your beautiful closet, but she's like, I don't even know how many handbags I have. Oh, I love Hermes. I like Gucci. I like Chloe, you know, the Paddington bag. Fendi. I love Chanel. Basically, the camera crew goes through Casey's mansion and she just shows them like the excesses of what that Johnson & Johnson wealth can buy. But Casey doesn't have like a Paris Hilton glamour. She's wearing a chartreuse shawl and speaking in a sad monotone. She's not wearing like a bubblegum bikini. Right. And VH1 was basically trying to depict Casey as this like carefree, sexy, wealth gives you everything you need woman. And they were definitely not intentionally highlighting the darkness, but it was there. Right. Okay, let's get back to the story. So they're celebutantes. They're going out to the Chateau Marmont. They're wearing Juicy Couture sweatpants. They're showing the tops of their butts. They're it's getting all- drunk in public. They're oh. getting drunk, drunk in public in a way that is was not really allowed. No, and they're getting filmed. They're getting filmed. And they're, you know, I think they're supposed to be the representatives of these family dynasties, these old money family dynasties. And they're hanging out with like new money and like just really going for it in a hardcore way. Also, Paris Hilton offers Casey a role on The Simple Life, and she says no. Nope. And she will go on to say that this mistake was the greatest mistake of her 
life. And this show goes on to be a BFD. Big fucking deal. It was a big fuck. Even I watched this. I mean, and that was at a time when you weren't yet, like, as deep into the trash heap of history as you are now. No, this was, like, a different time. You were a model This then. was a different time. And I loved it. I thought it was very funny. My dad loved it. He thought Nicole Richie was a comic icon, which, side note, she is. But I don't just stand for her. She's She'll be on the show eventually. The theme of the show is going to be everyone thinking I'm pretending I'm so close with Nicole Richie. And then finally she comes, like the time that Puff Daddy came to Soul Cycle with me. Is that true? Yeah. When I was like 26, we were friends for a little while. And he was like, what are you doing on Friday? And I was like, I'm going to Soul Cycle. And he was like, save me a bike. So I did. This is all true. So I saved him a bike. And I say to the woman at the counter of SoulCycle, and at this point I'm like a little famous, but not famous enough to be bringing did like it's it's second season of Girls, right? It hasn't aired yet, second season, and I'm like, I need to save a bike, but I'm going into class. Can you help my friend get on the bike? And she was like, No, no, I'm doing something. And I was like, You need to help my friend get on the bike. And then finally I'm like, It's Puff Daddy. It's Diddy. It's Sean Combs. <laughs> and she's like. No, it's not. She's like, it's not. And I literally get in a fight with the Soul Cycle woman. And then it's the greatest moment of my life. From behind me, I hear this voice be like, my girl. And Diddy comes running in to Soul Cycle, changing his shorts because he's like in the middle of something and about to take his three daughters out to like Benny Hanna after that. He gets on the bike with me and we have the most fun Soul Cycle ever. He's like hyping everyone up and being so excited. And Soul Cycle becomes so fun because Diddy's like, let's do this. Let's go work harder. And like, I mean, it was the most hardest I've ever exercised. I moved like a monster. And then I'm going to be honest, we've never hung out since. <laughs> Maybe after this show. Let's Maybe get the it's band our back time together. to get back together. Yeah. Um, okay. So Casey Johnson turns down sidekick role on Simple Life. She later goes on to say that it was the biggest mistake of her life because she could never get a foothold in Hollywood again, except the foothold in Hollywood she got for her bad behavior. So that bad behavior consists of rocking all day, rocking all night. Rocking all day, rocking all night, maybe doing a little bit of drinking. A touch. I'm guessing. I don't um, know. I wasn't there. No, but if you would look at some of the images, it's the kind of fun that people don't generally have just, you know, on the joy of oxygen. So I remember when these images started to come out around 2004 because she was on page six like every day. And that was every my day. newspaper of choice. Mm -hmm. So she really hits in 2004 because she got in a big fight with a Playboy playmate named Nicole Lenz. Yes. She accuses Nicole Lenz of stealing from her home. So Nicole Lenz files a $1 million suit against Casey and Bijou Phillips because she claims that these two women attacked her at somewhere like Bungalow 8. She claims that Bijou did the beating while Casey laughed. Okay. Again, we weren't there, people. We weren't there. But she's she's in it. She's in the shit. Right. So she's in the middle of all of this relationship drama and tabloid drama. And she also is not fulfilled because what she really wants more than anything is a baby. She really, really, really wanted to be a mother. And this is where Labette comes in. Yes. So Labette is Casey's aunt who happens to run an orphanage in Cambodia. And... Casey Johnson is like, fuck it. I want this baby. She goes to Cambodia with the aunt and with her boyfriend. John D. John D. was a, some documents say he was a music producer. Some say he was a manager. All say he was married to Lara Flynn Boyle. Bless. Yeah. Queen. By the way, when we say queen, we're saying it like 
we are old ass women who sit home in our house and we are just saying what we hear tweens say on the subway. You know what I'm going to say? I haven't been on the subway in 13 years. You know what I'm going to say instead of queen? I'm going to say call me. Call me. Laura Flynn Boyle, call me. <gasps> I love it. Okay. And here's what I'm going to say instead of queen. Yes, king. <laughs> I don't think that's good, Lena. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to rehab your image. Thank you Let's so get it right. much. Okay, okay. Call, call me, Lara Lena, call me. So, so, so John D. So John D. is Casey's boyfriend, and they decide to take a trip together to Cambodia to an orphanage, a $15 million orphanage on the banks of a river owned by her Aunt Libet. Because rich people own shit like that. Rich people own orphanages. It's just facts of life. It's crazy. I'm, like, trying to figure out owning, like, a little, like, humidifier. Same. (laughs) So anyway, so they go and Casey at the orphanage falls in love with a little girl named LaVisa. Yeah. LaVisa is a three-year-old Cambodian girl. Casey claims that LaVisa was silent from trauma until one day while Casey was feeding her cookies, she said the words, mommy. Mommy. And in Casey's accounting, which really haunts me, LaVisa goes, mommy, and without skipping a beat, Casey goes, yes, honey. You know what? I'm going to say it's not impossible. Basically, she falls in love with LaVisa. At this point, she finds out from her aunt that Cambodian law is saying that Americans can no longer adopt Cambodian children. But she may kind of think her aunt is lying because she doesn't want her to have the joy of a child or doesn't trust her with a child. And at the same time, she starts to suspect an unnatural bond between her aunt and John Dee. And there's another Vanity Fair profile which details Aunt Labette's custody battle with her ex-boyfriend over another orphan named William. And it was actually, it was a New York Magazine article called Labette. Labette Labette and Love. And it's basically clear that something more complicated than what Labette says is going on. Right. So she's not granted custody of LaVisa. (laughs) And then... Somehow, the New York Post gets a hold of emails between Labette and John Dee, and they're sending emails like, this is from Labette to John Dee. I am so happy that we have become friends. I admire you so much. Your zest for life and passion for everything you do is infectious. I know we met for a reason. Love, Labette. And I'm going to sidebar in here and say that that's how rich people fuck. (laughs) My God. What I like in a text is like, I'm just going to be straightforward. Like, I wouldn't know someone was romantically interested in me unless they were straight up like, I want to spend time with your pussy. Like, right. this is exactly. not this is rich people in fucking. any way clear to me. But to somebody else, I guess it tells a story. Like, this text to me, like, I would send this to, like, a, literally a random friend I met at the doctor's waiting room. Like, this says nothing to me. But Are you ready for a real hot one? Yeah. I got a very unhappy phone call from Casey telling me that if I ever talk to you or your mother again, she will never speak to me again. And then she went down the litany of your crimes. She is very vindictive. Let's let the storm die down a little. She'll buy another dog and move on, I'm sure. Best, Libet. And here for me, this is Libet feeling like Casey Johnson's reading my fucking emails with her boyfriend. That's yeah. a rumor. I don't know. I'm guessing. But ultimately, all of this comes to a head with the Vanity Fair profile. Bless the story. So I remember, I remember, ah. I was there. I remember when this article first came out in Vanity Fair. It was called Eris versus Eris. And Casey committed a cardinal sin against her wealth. Yes. She gives an interview in Vanity Fair in 2006. And basically, she goes to the press and says, boy, do I have a scandal for you. And it's about my family. 
So the rest of us are like, finally, a rich person who's willing to give us the dirty secrets of their life. Spill. Little side note, I truly think, and this is a choice I made recently, that the most refreshing thing is when people are just like, oh, you think this is going on? I'll tell you what's going on, and then I'll tell you what else is going on. Right. Rather than like putting up this firewall of like, uh, no comment, my people say no comment, it's like... Of course I'm reading all of this. Of course I know what's going on. Of course I don't have some secret life that you people can't touch. So let's just be in a dialogue about it. So that part of Casey's personality where she's like, oh, you think I'm in conflict with my rich, icy aunt over a man? I'll tell you that my aunt is a bitch who can't stop getting divorced every two years. And she fucked my boyfriend at an orphanage in Cambodia. Right. So Casey gives this interview where she says... My aunt fucked my boyfriend at this orphanage in Cambodia. <laughs> and then she also says, and my aunt cock-blocked me from adopting this baby. I want a baby. I wanted a baby. The he- even worse thing is John D. later claimed that he and Casey were never even together. Yeah. He was like, she's delusional and this is sad. It's a dick move, but not uncommon. Of course. So then Casey's like, I'm not giving up. I want a child. And in March of 2006, Casey goes to Kazakhstan to get a baby on her own who she names Ava Monroe. Classic. She loves Marilyn Monroe, owns Marilyn Monroe memorabilia. And I mean, Ava's the name of literally 15 celebrity children. And also, I think, deeply connected to this idea of Marilyn Monroe as a beautiful, injured, blonde person. Which I have to say, we all get into it because Marilyn Monroe has endometriosis and loves to watercolor. You see? So There's someone, something for everyone. That's why she was so famous. I know. We all feel connected to her story. Right. So then... While this is all happening, Casey's father is getting very tired of her shenanigans. And that fall, there was a situation where her dogs had shit so severely all over her suite at the Plaza Athenae that the cleanup cost $20,000. I can't imagine what that looks like. I've never been to this hotel before. I have seen shit before. I've seen shit on a carpet. I'm going to be honest that my 13-year-old dog, Bowie. R.I.P. R.I.P. Bowie. You've met Bowie. Shit so much she was dying and she had explosive diarrhea all over the bathroom of the Greenwich Hotel and it was right when we were starting to work on this podcast and I was like I literally was standing in there like I can't call anybody because I'm gonna be on page six what is it with you people (laughs) it's here's the thing I think about it is like you're living in a hotel you're living in a hotel so your life unfolds like I think when a lot of people go to hotels it's a special time and they're on their best behavior (laughs) but you know yeah. Haven't you ever had diarrhea all over your bathroom at home? At home, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Woody had to pay a cleanup cost of $20,000 when Even... she was kicked out of the Plaza Athenate, which actually seems kind of low for cleaning up that much shit. Like, I would think it was at least 50 k um, We will say that at the time that he received this bill, their relationship is already kind of shaky because she'd been too public and, you know, old money doesn't like that. They don't like that. No, old money's not for it. And so eventually... Like, he... don't talk about who your grandpa fucked the way that us poor people can. So he's not thrilled with her. And mm-hmm. then this $20,000 bill comes and he's really not thrilled with her. So in 2007, she tries to bring her little sweet baby to meet her father and patch things up, but it didn't work out. And it's rumored that they never spoke again and he cut her off. Right. There are articles in which the Johnson family says that the reason that they cut Casey off was to force her into rehab. And I will say that that's a thing. Like people give you a big thing about how you get to rehab, a place I've enjoyed myself. 
people all the time get bottom lines. Those bottom lines me might be you can't see your children anymore. The bottom line might be, you know, we're not going to pay for your life. And hopefully it's a, and then the th- really hard thing is the relative has to keep the bottom line. Can we also talk about this baby? Because there's a quote that comes up that's been attributed to Casey over and over and over again. And she talks about what it means to have all of the money that you could ever dream of and never be able to spend it all. And she says there is nothing left to want. So her having this child was sort of the the only thing that could fill this void that she had. So Casey saying there's nothing left to want, that is very heavy stuff. I mean, it's when we were researching this, was this was like kind of the saddest quote that I came across. Because it sort of sums up the whole story. So she gets the baby. She gets the thing that she thinks is going to fulfill her. And guess what? It's not enough. It's not enough. And money's never been enough. And love's never been enough. And fame's never been enough. And it also makes us think about the fact that wanting things is sort of what keeps us alive. Like, desire is part of, like, the fuel of life. And when does I remember saying at the height of my depression to my friend, Matt Wolf, I don't know. He said, what do you like to do to relax? And I said, I don't know what people do for fun. I can't think of anything that would be nice to do. And he said that was when he was really worried about me because the idea that you've just like lost desire. Yeah, but you know, there's also like a fine line between having ambition or wanting things for yourself and being like a gaping maw of need. And we have to find the space between that. I don't know. It does something to people's characters if they're, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's interesting. You... When you meet people who have also, like, had a lot of their dreams fulfilled, they're kind of um, disillusioned in a way that's uncomfortable to be around, for me, personally. I have no dreams. <laughs> so you're perfect. So I love being around it's you. It's cool. I love being around you because you just let things happen to you while just, you wear cashmere. Yeah, you just, like, kind of go. Sleepwalk. Well, one time I was at a wedding with Katy Perry, and I was sitting by the fire. There was a fire at this wedding. It was a really cool wedding and like you know, the American West or whatever. And I said, she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm catching up on emails. And she said, oh my God, you're doing emails? It's like the weekend. And I said, yeah, I have to, haven't you? And she's like, I haven't checked my emails in weeks. And I was like, really? And she goes, I've already dreamt all my dreams, baby. Bless. Isn't that? Call me, Katie Perry. Call me, definitely. It's That's good. It was really cool and chic and I was incredibly impressed and it stayed with me my entire life. That's the cool version and happy version of this, which is like, I've dreamed all my dreams. I can enjoy my weekend. Casey's quote is the tragic version, which is like, there's nothing left to want. I'm a hollow shell, so I guess I'll get a baby from Kazakhstan. Give me that baby. Give me that baby juice. Give me that baby. I mean, yeah. So she desperately wants this reconciliation with her father because not only does she want to have a family, but she wants to prove to him that she has the baby and is now a better and more functional person. 100%. Which I will say, when you have a baby, you do think that about yourself for a little while. Well, I'm also you're sure like, you look have at a me, flight. I'm good. It's like getting a new job, and you convince yourself that you're a different person. Totally. Right? I'm you, another person. And so, you brush your hair and the whole thing. Yeah. So she goes to her father's house, and her stepmom answers the door, and supposedly is like, get the fuck off our property. She calls 911. Casey's father shows up, supposedly is like, we're calling the cops. Get out of here. We don't know. We weren't there. Heart fucking break hotel. Like, can you imagine your parents turning you away at the door with your baby? It's important to note that they probably weren't like, fuck you, get out of my house. They probably said it in like a waspy way. But you know what? Just to be clear here, when I put quotes into these people's mouths like, fuck you, get out of here, I wasn't there. And I don't know that that's what they said. It's probably not what they said. So now Casey also at this point 
starts to, uh, let's just say she moves to the Isle of Lesbos. Yes. She starts to have a series of high-profile lesbian affairs, each characterized with violence and pain. With violence and pain, but also with some revenge and guilt. Yeah. So talk to me a little about who these women are and what you think they're up to. She starts going out with Courtney Semmel, who is the heiress to the Yahoo fortune. And we hear they have a fight that ends pretty violently. This is information that I've called from an interview with Tila Tequila that was just posted on Radar.com. So use your judgment. Listeners, but use your judgment. But it does say that Casey's hair was on fire, literally. And that her earrings were ripped out of her head. Horrible. So here's what I'm going to say. I did a little research. Courtney Semmel would later tweet that Casey Johnson was the love of her life. And Courtney Semmel's Twitter account is still almost entirely devoted to Casey post Casey's death. Can I say that this happens? Courtney's also a sober person, a grateful recovering addict. So we hit around 2008, 2009. Casey is acting out. Mm-hmm. She's having affairs with women. Yep. And she hooks up with a young lady named Jasmine Leonard. So we've got Jasmine Leonard, model, sometimes lesbian. So Jasmine and Casey start having this affair. Mm-hmm. Casey's pretty much out of money because her father has turned off the faucet. Yep. Trying to make her behave. Sometimes yep. people think if you turn the faucet off, people will behave. Yep. And she kind of starts really hitting the tabloids in a very big way at this point. And it's not just like a page six item that's like, look at the rich heiress getting drunk and maybe laughing while someone smashes a glass in Nicole Lenz's face. It's like, look at the rich heiress who doesn't really have an apartment, who has been going out with this woman named Jasmine Leonard and snuck into her house at night and stole her underwear and used her vibrator and left it in her bed. Between the sheets, like a little gift. Like a gift. Or a warning. It's really intense. And also, Courtney Semmel, again, who is considered a real lesbian Don Juan in Hollywood, says that she spotted Casey in Jasmine's underwear. Right. She makes the connection, like, oh my god, I saw Casey. How Courtney Semmel knew whose underwear were whose? Like, did they say Jasmine on the butt? Like, Everyone's underwear kind of looked the same, I think. It depends how hot you are, I imagine. If you're really hot, you maybe have spectacular underwear. When I was a virgin, my underwear were so much nicer. You see? Yeah, and then you you were dreaming. Yeah, and then you, so real. And then you start having sex and you're like, these people are idiots. You're like, why bother? Yeah. You're like, all good enough. That's my life motto. Good enough. So then at this point, Casey's living in a Los Angeles rental that she can't afford, hiding her Porsche in her garage to avoid repossession. Yeah. And I mean, I, I want to reiterate something that I think is really important in the story that people may or may not remember is that when this was all unfolding in certain corners of the media, it was really huge news. It was really mega news to watch this person that you'd grown up kind of seeing try to come into her own and then sort of fail and then get back up and try again. But, you know, we were familiar with her and it was really big news to watch this unraveling. And I think... That's something that needs to be reiterated here, and it's it's probably part of our mission statement, yep. is that this is a person who we've we've largely forgotten about. Regardless of how grand her, her social crimes were, they're sort of, you know, erased a little bit. And what's kind of what's kind of both incredible and horrible is that when we do remember her, we just remember dead in a way that is not honorable. Right. 
And that's no way to remember, like, a woman of dignity and grace. So Jasmine's accusations toward Casey get Casey thrown in jail briefly. It's like a grand larceny charge. Yeah, which isn't great. And her mom takes Ava Monroe, which has to be heartbreaking because as I would imagine as far as Casey's fallen, that her child is still the deepest part of her heart. Yeah, of course. So the other element of Casey's life that we touched on briefly in the beginning is that she had pretty severe diabetes. So she's like battling this kind of dual diagnosis of diabetes and borderline personality. She's not taking care of herself. Um, Her baby has been taken, which was kind of the thing that was supposed to redeem her life. So Jasmine Leonard says to page six, Basically, she got bored of buying herself bags and shoes and bought herself a daughter from Kazakhstan in 2007, but was too crazy to look after her. I mean, my God, it would put you in your grave. I also have to say, and this is part of our mission statement, being called crazy, it's like telling someone to shut up. Like, what can you say back? It's so painful because it disqualifies your humanity. And this is also shameful crazy. It's not fun crazy. No, it's not like, girl, you're crazy. No, it's like like you're fucking crazy. It's like you're fucking crazy. Get away from me. And you're a bad mother. Which is like the worst damnation. So painful. The worst. So Casey is sort of at this point grappling with how to shift the focus off of this Jasmine Leonard incident and the reports that are coming into gossip columns. And she has an idea. What's her idea? Her idea is that she can maybe convince the world that she is engaged to marry Internet tombstone, Tila Tequila. Holy motherfucking shit. Talk to me about this incident. So Tila Tequila was a different person than she is now about 10 years ago. Okay. Because right now she's like, what, a raging Republican who does webcasts? No comment. Okay. So (laughs) at the time, she had just come off of the fame of her dating show, A Shot at Love with Tila Tequila, which I watched personally. I thought it was charming enough. Um, She had all this MySpace fame. She was very hot at this moment in time. Yeah, very hot. But her star was probably starting to wane. So they, as I think sometimes happens, two people on the decline meet up and think that they can sort of supplement each other and shine as brightly as they once did individually. Yep, totally. It seems like what they're thinking, we don't know because Casey's unfortunately gone and let's just say we're not going to we're not going to have a shot at love with Teal Tequila. We're, there's no shot at love with Teal Tequila. But I will say that at this time is when I first started to notice Casey Johnson. So I think this thing that you know about me is that I usually notice people in a bad way. You're not like Oh, I think this person's work is great. You you notice people when they start to appear like in tabloids, on weird message boards, and when their breakdowns are becoming increasingly public. You honestly notice people when it seems like there's a death knell going off. But I also want to say that I notice them because sometimes I relate in some way. I relate. Of course. I start noticing around her around this point. She and Tila Tequila, Tila has a website and links to like live streams nightly. Yeah. And they would get together and dress in lingerie and basically like tell the world that they were in love. They'd call each other wifey. They announced their engagement. So there's footage of Tila and Casey on a red carpet being photographed by the paparazzi. And Tila has on these kind of poorly fitting red leather gloves that come up past her elbows. Oh no. And on top of one of those ill-fitting red leather gloves is a gigantic cubic zirconia, I'm guessing, cubic zirconia ring. 
at the same time, Tila Tequila is making all of these announcements that say things like, oh, my wifey is so rich. She's such a baller. She has all these diamonds. She has all these cars. But we know that Casey's living in a guest house. Her Porsche's She's trying to hide her Porsche from being repossessed. She doesn't have her daughter, and she's cut off from her fortune. Also cut off her electricity and her water. God damn it. So Casey needed to pay her bill, but she couldn't because her dad wouldn't give her any money. So she's living this not great life, hoping that somehow she and Tila are going to probably get a reality show is my impression. But Courtney and Jasmine definitely didn't think they were and were like, this is fake. This is insane. And also said Tila Tequila was taking advantage of someone with mental illness. That was the Courtney and Jasmine take, was that Tila Tequila was finding a moment and preying on the vulnerability of someone who was really in a bad place. And a few people in Casey's life said she was misusing insulin, that she had really serious imbalances happening. So as Casey is kind of doing all of these things to try to achieve or kind of recapture her notoriety, Paris Hilton is getting real notoriety. She's on the cover of Life and Style. She's in every magazine. She's on TV. And Casey, meanwhile, is relegated to the bowels of page six. And it's in a bad way. So New Year's, something happens. There's this lapse in communication where Casey's family isn't really communicating with her, so they don't notice anything is awry. And Tila and Casey are maybe having some kind of fight, so they're not communicating. And it was on January 4th, 2010, that someone, I believe it was someone who lived in the primary home that the guest house was attached to, calls 911. They call 911 and they report they believe Casey has died. And that 911 call is really sobering. It's grim. Especially because the person who owns the home does not sound remotely surprised. They don't sound shaken, upset, or surprised. They talk about it as if they have just discovered that, you know, a raccoon that they've always known was under the porch has, you know, come out and sorted through the trash. Like, there's there's just a sense that this was inevitable, this was always going to happen— And they talk to the police in an almost, like, cheerful tone that just says, like, let's get down to business. It's spooky. I'm pretty sure she's ice cold and her hands are turning blue. I have two other people here with me and we all think she's dead. And at one point they say, are you in the room with her? And the woman says, no, we're outside. It was basically a a pool house um, that was attached to a grander house that was called Grumble Knot. Grumble not. Don't complain, Lena. Grumble not. And she was living in this place that there were rats. Uh, the pool was green. There was no electricity. There was no water. So it was quite grim. And next to her body was potentially a bottle of an empty bottle of NyQuil. That is debated, but there was discussion of misuse of NyQuil. Yes. And Casey died from diabetic ketoacidosis. Yep. Which is, you know, a really something that she's been, like, battling her entire life. But uh, we're not doctors. People say stems from not controlling your diabetes and not having a lifestyle that is built for healing. She was 30. It's so crazy because when I remember when she died, I thought, like, that's so sad that that grown-up mom died. Right. And now I'm 32 and I'm like... That's an actual child. Yeah. Like, my 30th birthday, I, like, went home and, like, curled up in a Snuggie and, like, wept on a stuffed animal. Like, it's not an adult age. Like any other night. Like any <laughs> other night. 
it's not an adult age. It's not. It's very. I remember when when I was a kid hearing that Marilyn Monroe died at 36, and I thought, what's the big deal? It's good enough. I know. But it's young. It's really it's young. young. Now I think people sound young when they die at 71. Like it's not right. Regardless, she's found in this this place that's a, a really far cry from the life she led on Park Avenue when she had everything she wanted. When I saw that video of her running through Tila Tequila's like weird, you know, prefab purple home, I was like, what does this feel like for her to have one point had this like, like, like felt every luxurious surface there was to feel and now be like knocking her head against some basic plywood as she got railed by Tila Tequila, potentially? Well, I would say that probably she didn't care. I think that once you've had luxuries like that, maybe you're like, fuck it. I am going to throw this out there because we are talking about personal experience. When I was in a very dark time, coming out of a long-term relationship, and also kind of coming out of this period of having had everything I wanted, the pets, the house, the boyfriend, the career, done all the things, feeling extremely hollow inside, not well, depending on Klonopin, was like, oh, it's so chic to go over to this guy's apartment where he has like four roommates that is like maybe a sober house and like have sex that other people can hear. Like, it's just you don't... Like, you kind of are like, there's a row. I'm over it. I'm past it. I live in a beautiful apartment in the West Village. Nobody worry about me. But at that moment, like, there was a glamour to putting myself right. in a situation like, like maybe Smaller when I was, glamour. When I was 24, my dream was to go over to a man's beautiful loft, lay down on his cashmere sheets. Once I was 31. You and, were like, this couch cushion is good enough. Yeah. It, like, wasn't even a couch cushion. Yeah. Like, it potentially was a bale of straw. I have no clue. <laughs> Here's the thing. Casey did manage to give Ava Monroe the most beautiful life because Ava Monroe became a little Johnson and Johnson, was repossessed by the Johnson and Johnsons, and to our knowledge, lives with all of the luxury that Casey was denied by her antics. She lives with Sale. Who is divorced from Woody. Right. Which is a whole other podcast. Speaking of Woody, after Casey died, Woody goes on to be confirmed this is reason by Vice President Mike Pence as the ambassador to the UK on August 21st, 2017. And what happens that day? We all woke up on August 21st, 2017 to find that her Wikipedia page had been erased and now auto-directed to Woody Johnson's personal life wiki, which devotes one line to her death and also has a picture of Woody with Donald Trump. Yeah, I'll say it. Yep. It's okay. Here's the thing. Erasing her Wikipedia page is like a metaphor for what we've all done, which is we've all emotionally erased Casey's Wikipedia page. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's part of what our pathology is, is that we're so hungry that, you know, we sort of rip through things. We rip through people culturally now. You know, the thing about Casey was that she wasn't disciplined or hard enough to fit into this world of old money, and she wasn't really slick enough to affiliate with new money. She was in some kind of in-between space that left her, you know, kind of stranded. And culturally, we just enjoyed watching her kind of float downstream. That's 100% true. And it's easy to say she had everything in the world. She could have made something of herself. Why didn't she make her own orphanage on the banks of Cambodia and find satisfaction? But Casey had, had been faced with real issues, both with her body, her mind, and her environment, that maybe didn't necessarily set her up with the tools to seek her own happiness in that way. And so like many of us, she was looking for it in the coldest place in the world, like the public eye. Right. And the public eye can't be your boyfriend. It can't be your mother. It can't be your daughter. And it's fickle. And even if you experience one moment of glory and are called luminous on one society page, 
the next minute there will be a crash. And so in that way, it's like living on drugs. Like you're going to get a good batch, you're going to get a bad batch, or you're going to get no batch. And it's never going to feel that great. Damn. (laughs) So I guess what we should also kind of wrap up with is to talk about what we wish for Ava Monroe, which is kind of like, I hope I never see her name in page six. I hope I never have that feeling that something is about to happen. I like hope she becomes a veterinarian in the country somewhere and just like enjoys her life and connects to people and animals and feels a sense of pride in her work and gets to go back to Kazakhstan and connect with her roots and understand where she came from while also appreciating where she is. And feels loved in the way that her mother maybe did not. Hundred and I feel like I'm guessing. I also hope she remembers Casey. Like, I hope she remembers Casey like we did not. Well, you and I did, but we did not. Yeah. I love you, Alyssa. I love you, Nina. We love you, Casey. We will never call you crazy. The C Word is a luminary media podcast. It's produced by Pineapple Street Media and Good Thing Going Productions. Our producers are Dina Kleiner and Liz Watson. Diane Hodson is our associate producer. Jenna Weisberman and Max Linsky are our executive producers and my personal favorite people to flirt with in the office. Our theme song is by Liz Fair. Yes, you heard it. Other music is by Matthew McLaughlin and Andrew Miller. Special thanks to Ruby Schwartz, Michael Cohen, Soham Joglakar, and Maddie Sprung-Kaiser. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.